Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. All right. Time to finally transition into the message. Um, I know there's a lot of other things going on. I've seen some of you guys wearing different shirts representing, I guess, teams from sports teams. I don't know much about that or what you guys are doing. Um, I'm on a holy mission here today, so I'm not really going to talk about football or anything. Um, They're they're laughing because they know it's a complete joke, and I love football. But uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, We missed you guys last weekend. We were out of town in Colorado Springs seeing the beauty of that state and a reminder that God is at work in his creation. I, I, um, I can't imagine how people can enjoy that beautiful creation and yet say that God doesn't exist. Um, just amazing to see um, all that God has done in our creation. Hope you enjoyed your Labor Day weekend. Tuesday, I got, to, I got back here and I got to tune in to Pastor Dennis's message called Salty Nuts. Um, Shanna said to me last Saturday, she was going to make the slide. She said, guess what my dad's message is called for Sunday? I'm like, I don't know. What's it called? She goes, it's called Salty Nut. I was like, okay, well, uh, I'm just going to trust him. And uh, I don't really have a, uh, any other options at this point. I'm not flying back, so we're just going to believe that God has a word through Pastor Dennis. And uh, it was a great message to listen to. I also came to the refreshment table and found a bunch of trail mix from last week. So I'm like, what did I miss? What happened here? Uh, but wasn't that a great message from Pastor Dennis? So good. Just a reminder that, you know, we're not from this, from earth. We're peculiar people. We're extraordinary people. We're called to be salt and light in the world. And so Pastor Dennis preached a one-week series last week, and today I'm going to preach a one-week series as well, and uh, then maybe we'll get, um, we'll get into what's coming next with ser- series at the end. But in conjunction with the beginning of small groups, I wanted a message called, Who is My Neighbor?, Today's message is a question, who is my neighbor? The term neighbor, it's, it's used all the time, right? There are different contexts for that word. Typically, the term is used for the people that live around you, right? People that live in your neighborhood. Where Shanna and I live now, um, we live in, in kind of farm country, so there could be about a half a mile between us and our next nearest neighbor, very spaced out. Where we lived before that is we lived in a duplex. And we rented the one side, and there were other people that rented the other side. We had friends that rented that for a while, uh, the Lukens. And and you can't get closer in physical proximity than sharing a living room wall. They would hear me pounding on the table when the Browns would lose. Meaning that they heard me pound on the table a lot. Uh, I would hear them celebrating on Christmas Day when the kids are getting toys. We were very close. We even called each other neighbors. We wouldn't go neighbor. That was too formal for us. Like, hey, neighbors, how's it going? That's how we interacted. You think about the neighbor in context of TV, the good and the bad. You think of Kimmy Gibbler, right? The obnoxious neighbor girl from Full House. You think about um, Everybody Loves Raymond. Right? Ray lives in the same neighborhood as his parents and the comedy that ensues from that. I think of probably the most iconic to me would be Wilson, right? You can only see his eyes, the neighbor on a home improvement. So all these, all these different versions uh, of neighbor, but it depends on the context. Because right now, I could tell you, turn to your neighbor and shake their hand, yet you may not live in the same city. 
So neighbor can have different context. And in this question, we're going to look at the story of when a lawyer would ask this question to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? It's a question a lawyer asked Jesus. And of course, it's a lawyer that would ask this type of question, right? Anyone friends with a lawyer? One of my best friends, Phil, uh, I was texting him earlier this week. I said, you know, just so you know, um, are you going to be there Sunday? He said, no, I'm on vacation. I was like, okay, good. I'm going to tell a quick story about you. And he said, you know I listen to the podcast, right? You know I'm going to check in on you. Uh, but Phil is one of the most inquisitive people you will ever meet. And, and having an argument, having a disagreement with him is no fun because he will just pepper you with question one after the other. It's like, I, I'm sorry, am I on trial here? What's happening? Like, what are you, Dan Rather? What is this, 20 questions? What's happening right now? So many questions. A lawyer would ask Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds in the parable, you may know the story of the, the Good Samaritan. So today we're going to look at not only who is my neighbor, but how can I be a good neighbor? We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 10. Let's read the first four verses of this passage in verse 25 through 28. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So the lawyer asked two questions to Jesus. The first one is, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's the first question. And let me explain this question because what the lawyer is trying to ask, what he's getting at is, how can I achieve eternal life? How can I earn my walk with God? And Jesus wisely responds to his question with another question. He says, well, how do you perceive the law? How does it read to you? To his credit, the lawyer answers correctly. He says, he lists out, by loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and secondly, loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do this and you will live. So we don't know what a neighbor is yet. We don't know how it's defined not at least according to Jesus' definition, but we do know there's a high importance in our attitude toward and how we treat our neighbor, right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor and you will inherit eternal life. So how, how we treat people, how we love our neighbor, that will determine inheriting eternal life. And this lawyer, wanting everything to be crystal clear, asks the question which becomes our sermon title, Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? It's funny because the lawyer at this point, he's not just asking a question out of curiosity, more so out of obligation. He's like, and just to be clear, just so I can know who I can check off my list and who I can ignore, which people are my neighbors? Which ones should I pay attention to? And which ones can I just, you know, ignore, leave alone? How can we love our neighbor? And Jesus proceeds to explain who his neighbor is with this story. Let's read the next four verses, starting in verse 30. 
Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So Jesus is telling the story of a man beaten on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And he uses this road specifically because it is notorious for robbers to camp there hiding out, preparing to to steal from someone, to beat them up, to take what they have. Jesus is using an example of those times. I think if he used an example today, you know, I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. I don't know if anyone else did. And growing up in Youngstown, Ohio, you just know there are some places you kind of avoid, all right? Uh, there, there's sometimes where my parents say, you know, don't go into that part of Mill Creek Park. Stay, stay away from that area. Don't go down Glenwood Avenue and this area, especially late at night. Stay away from that. Okay, I was a 17-year-old driving in my mom's minivan to Youngstown State University most weeks. Yes, I was the cool kid with the, with the minivan driving around. And, and there was, my dad would say, you just you keep your eyes straight. Don't be looking to the left or to the right. Don't be looking around. Just keep your eyes straight. You'll be fine. You'll be okay. Nothing more assuring than hearing that as a 17-year-old, right? Um, but Jesus is using his example in his world of a dangerous place, saying this is a place where it would be common, unfortunately, for someone to be robbed and beaten. First, you have the priest who sees but passes by on the other side. Then you have the Levite who sees and also goes to the other side. But the Samaritan, it says the Samaritan came to where he was. The priest and the Levite, they, they didn't even try to get close. Before they could even come up near him on the road, they switched to the other side so that they couldn't get close. But the Samaritan came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Our first point as we talk about what being a good neighbor looks like, number one, closeness leads to compassion. To be a good neighbor, we have to get close to people. When you see someone, truly seeing them, who they are, where they are, that is what leads to compassion. If you look over and over again in the the Gospels, when it says Jesus saw this man, he saw this woman, Jesus saw the crowd, and then what? He had compassion. When we take time to see people, that is when compassion begins to stir up in our hearts. Do we make efforts to befriend someone? I was listening to a talk from a behavioral investigator named Vanessa Van Edwards. And she talks about how we connect with people. She talks about how there are three different levels of connecting. And the first level is kind of generic questions that you have to begin with to begin getting to know someone. Stuff like, you know, um, where do you live? What do you do? Where do you work? You know, these types of questions. They're not bad questions, but they're not exactly stimulating questions either. 
Once you get past those questions, then you can get to, to level two and you begin to connect with, with more specific questions like, hey, what was the highlight of your day? What was the highlight of your week? Is there a personal passion project that you're going through right now? Is there anything exciting coming up in your life? Those questions, hopefully, as you heard them, it began to think more for you, right? More than just, yeah, I do this. I go here every day, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. No, you begin to think, well, uh, you know, this happened this week, and that was actually really exciting. You begin to stimulate conversation. There, there's one question that either people love to answer or they hate to answer. They don't know what to say. I've heard it depends on if you're an introvert or an extrovert. But the question is, hey, what's your story? What's your story? Some of you right now are like, don't ask me that. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, I, my story is I'm here, and it barely, barely got here at time on 10 a.m., and uh, I'm just glad to be alive right now. And some people are like, how much time do you have? Sit down. We're going to have a whole time together right now. I will tell you my story, right? <laughs> Jim McClain just gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> I didn't plan to reference you in this sermon. You already had one last week, but I'm I'm sorry. But see, we don't have compassion with people if we don't take time to connect with them. I don't have compassion when I don't fully see their situation. When we were flying last week and our airplane landed in Denver, I have a lot of pet peeves when it comes to uh, flight etiquette. Um, but one of the big ones is once you touch down, people think that they're automatically getting off the flight, like right away. And they grab their bags and they begin to head up the aisle to the front. Uh, we're, not even at the, we're not even at the gate yet. They haven't opened the doors. Nothing has happened. And yet they believe that they automatically have the right to get off in 10 seconds. Does anybody know what we're talking about? Is it just me? And so, so I'm sitting there like, hey, you know, man, like there's, there's about 80 people in front of you. And we're all, you know, seated nearer to the front. It, it makes more sense for the people in the front to get off first and, and so on and so forth, right? I mean, that's how I feel about it. But as they got closer to me and I began to hear that this one lady, she's like, yeah, my next flight is boarding right now. If I don't get off right now, I'm going to miss this flight. And all of a sudden, once I began to learn about her story, I say, well, I mean, if I was in that situation, I would hope people would be understanding for me and allow me to get off before them, whereas I have a delay in my next flight and I have to wait an hour or two, so sure, they can go ahead of me. But why is it that we, our initial reaction is to judge instead of have compassion? Closeness leads to compassion. And remember, there, there's always going to be a reason why we can't connect with someone. There, there's always an excuse not to help. But secondly, if we want to be a good number, we have to lose the excuse. There will always be an excuse to not be neighborly. The priest and the Levite, they probably had an excuse for why they couldn't help in that moment, right? Oh, it, it's too dangerous to help him. It's too dangerous to check on him. Do you want that to happen to you as well? Hey, for all I know, he's, he's setting an ambush. He's a decoy out there. I, I can't trust going out there. It's a trap. There's a Star Wars joke there somewhere. I, I've got to move on. I've got to get to the temple and perform my service for God. I have to get home and I've got to see my family. Someone else should go do that. Someone else should help that person. 
You know, when Shanna and I, we were, before we started this church, we would drive through the Marysville area and say, wow, this place is growing. This is an amazing place. Somebody should start a church here. <laughs> not, not us. I mean, we can't do that. We, we got other things going on. We, we wouldn't be able to do that. But somebody else should do that, right? Someone else should help that man. I can't do it. I'm only one person. I'm not qualified. I don't, I don't know how to give someone medical att attention. I'll just, how about this? I'll just pray for him, right? Are we using prayer as the weapon that it is? Or do we use it as an excuse to not do more? Is that convicting to anyone else or just me? Anyone else convicted? The person, you know, they just brought in, and they're dangerous and they're alone. They didn't ask for help. They didn't ask for my help. How many of us are not willing to help someone? We see someone in need, but because they haven't asked for it, we haven't given it to them. Maybe I'll move on here. I'm meddling, as some would say. There will always be an excuse for why we can't help someone in need. You're too busy? Come on, we're all busy. There's always going to be something else in our schedule. They look too intimidating to approach them? No, that's just their resting face. It's, just, it's, a, it's an intimidating resting face. But I promise you, you go up to them and you say, hey, can I help you? Maybe you ask, hey, what's your story? I bet you they're going to warm right up to you. Do we have an excuse or can we take a moment to be a neighbor? Excuses hold back God's best from you and from the people around you. Let me start with you. If you look a few chapters later in Luke, Luke chapter 14, it talks about the parable of the great banquet. A man plans this, this great banquet and then he sends out invites. And people have excuses for why they can't come. Oh, I just bought this land. I, I, have to, I can't come to that right now. I just got married. We can't come to that right now. And it's a parable explaining that we focus on things of this world instead of focusing on God and the people around us. Excuses hold us back from, from God's best for us and God's best for others. You look in the Old Testament, Moses tells God that he can't be the one that speaks for him. He can't be the leader out of Egypt because he doesn't know how to speak. He has a stuttering problem. He has issues. God says, you know, I formed, I, you know, I created every part of you, including your mouth and your tongue. You, you don't think I can make that work for you so that you can lead my people out of Egypt? The excuses that we use, they hold back God's best for you and the people around you. Let's finish reading the story here at the end the parable of the Good Samaritan. Read the next two verses, 34 and 35. The Good Samaritan, it says, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So the Samaritan, he went to him. He cleaned him up, set him on his own animal, took him to an inn where he would pay two days worth of salary. 
And then he said, hey, whatever more you spend, I'll handle it. I'll cover that in addition to what I've already spent. The Good Samaritan shows a sacrifice of time, possessions, money. A good neighbor gets close. A good neighbor loses excuses. And number three, a good neighbor makes sacrifices. They're willing to make a sacrifice. We've got a number of groups beginning this season. And Shanna and I, we, we loved hosting, and we still miss our, our young adult group from before. And, and we love getting together with this group and, and learning together and growing in God. But guess what? It was a sacrifice. Not every moment was glorious and wonderful. There were some times where we're like, you know, can we just have this Friday night to ourselves? Can we just, just the two of us kind of lay low and, and, you know, rest a little bit? There, there might have been a couch that got busted from small groups from games, you know? There, there might have been a stain from a drink or from sauce. There might have been a wall that got scraped up. There might have been money invested to buy food and make meals because this is how we bribe or encourage young adults to come. <laughs> Matt and Alicia, you get it, right? Typically, we love young adults. Some of them did a great job bringing food, but some of them brought Doritos and Mountain Dew. And they were like, here it is. Here's my side dish. I'm like, great. That'll fit in. And to be honest, if I was a young man in my 20s, that's the same thing I would do if I was single as well. So I get it. I get it. There are sacrifices that have to be made when you're a good neighbor. It gets you out of your comfort zone to host people or to talk to someone when that's not your norm. Or spending money somewhere where money's already tight. It's a sacrifice. But this is how Jesus says we can be a good neighbor. And how we can enter into the kingdom of God. We love God and we love our neighbor. And just like loving God can be a sacrifice, loving our neighbor can be a sacrifice, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Because the Samaritan at the end of that verse, what did he say? I never noticed this before. I've read it multiple times, but he instructs the innkeeper to take care of him because I'm paying you and I'll repay whatever else you need when I come back. I thought about that phrase, when I come back. This man not only saved him and helped him, but it says he was going to come back. He was going to come back, and at some point he would see the difference between where he found this man and how this man was being healed and made whole all over again. We make excuses and say we don't want to get close to people, but when we make sacrifices... And you find someone, when Alicia found this, this woman in distress and anxiety, and then later on you see her a changed person, it makes every sacrifice that you've made worth it. Just to see that person healthy and whole. Imagine that person coming back to see them recovering and restored because of what he had done. I believe he would have looked at him and said, that was worth it. That was worth it. It was worth the sacrifice. And everything you do, just so you know, this isn't just about being a good neighbor or friend someone. It's worth the sacrifices that you make. Worship team, it's worth the sacrifices you make when you come early and you prepare and get this place ready to enter into the presence of God. Kids ministry team, it's worth it. 
I know you may have dirty diapers and you may have a a child throwing a, a, a tantrum or trying to run out of the kids' ministry. Not at our church. Other churches have this problem. We're totally fine, completely fine. But it's worth it when they memorize even a verse of Scripture and take that home and it's now stored in their heart for the rest of their life. It's worth it. It's worth the sacrifice that we make to be a good neighbor. Brent, could you come and play as we close? Let me read the last two verses of this parable. As Jesus, he's finishing the story, and he asks the lawyer a question. Verses 36 and 37. Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus says, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? Jesus creates this ironic story because he starts with a priest and a Levite. We know the priests, they were the men of God. They should have been the most likely to show compassion and be neighborly. And the Levites, they would assist the priests. So they would be the second most likely person to be neighborly and loving. And Jesus juxtaposes that with a Samaritan. Do you know who a Samaritan is to a Jew? We've talked in the past about how a Jew and a Gentile, how they hated each other. A Jew was, if if a, a woman was pregnant and she she was about to give birth, this Gentile woman, she's laying down. You as a Jew, you were instructed not to help them because you were bringing another Gentile into the world. That's how much animosity there was. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other even more. And yet Jesus says here, which of these three were the neighbor? And it's funny because the lawyer doesn't even say it's a Samaritan not even willing to say their name. He just says, the one who showed mercy. You see, at this point, a definition of a neighbor for a Jewish person was a friend or someone else that was born of Hebrew descent. But now, according to Christ's new definition, a neighbor is anyone, irrespective of their nation or their religion, that we meet. Your neighbor is whoever God puts in your path. I want to challenge you this morning to be available, to be friend, and to be a neighbor to anyone that God puts in your path. Sometimes we miss it, right? Sometimes we're like the priest. There have been times where I've missed it in my life. God's put someone in my path and I just went on the other side. I didn't take a moment to see them and have compassion for them like Jesus did. Would you stand with me as we close? And we talked about that last point. Making sacrifices. I think back to 21 years ago. September 11, 2001. A lot of people were lost that day. All of a sudden, our world was thrown into chaos. 
in that moment, you know, I don't know if you were there where you were at, but I, I remember seeing on the news and random strangers that had never seen each other before, didn't know anything about them, they would stop to try to help their neighbor in that moment of crisis. Do you realize how much more the people around your life that don't know Jesus, they are in crisis and chaos, whether they realize it or not? Would you take a moment and allow God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to you when there's someone that comes in your life to not make an excuse, to not step to the other side, but to walk into the life as God has called you to do? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray to close? If that's you this morning and and you're convicted just like I am, that I've made excuses. I've even made the excuse of praying for someone instead of actually doing something for them. And say, today, Matt, I want to be a better neighbor. Today, God is calling me to increase my ability to befriend and to be a neighbor to the lost. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to be closer. I want to be connected with God and ready to bless my neighbor. Let's pray, church. God, we want to be more like you, Jesus. That's our goal in life. We just want to be more like you, Jesus. And I pray that you would help us to see people and have compassion on them like you do. Forgive us for the times that we've messed up, that we've missed it, that we've made an excuse. Help us to be ready to reach out to the person around us that's hurting, whether they ask for it or they don't. Urge us, speak to our spirit to find that person and to bless them. And right now, I take a moment to pray for the families of those who lost people on 9-11. I pray for peace over their families. We thank you that you are near to us even in those moments of loss and of struggle and hurt. We thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to be convicted by your word and come out changed, ready for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and whatever you have planned for us. We thank you for today. We pray a blessing over your people. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. Thanks for being here today. Hope you have a great week and we hope to see you again next week. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.